الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا مولانا رسول الله وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن والاه اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد الفاتح لما أغلق والخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق بالحق والهادي إلى صراطك المستقيم وعلى آله حق قدره ومقداره العظيم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته We welcome all of you once again to our عقيدة السنوسية class and uh, just a reminder once again that uh, al-aqidah sanusiya is a uh, text uh, written on the basic uh, aqidah that a muslim uh, should have uh, written by a famous uh, scholar from uh, the 8th century from algeria from north africa and that is al-imam uh, abu abdullah muhammad bin yusuf al-sanusi Al-Imam al-Sanusi, who passed away in the year 895, 895. So he wrote this text. Uh, he didn't call it Al-Aqid al by the way. That, uh, the name that he gave, it, gave to it was Ummul uh, Barahin, the mother uh, uh, of all evidences. Okay, or the mother book of, the mother book of evidences. Uh, uh, by evidences here, he means the evidences for Tawheed for our belief about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But uh, since it was taught as an Aqidah text uh, over the centuries, uh, they call it the Aqidah of Sanusi. And Al-Aqidah al-Sanusiyah, just like they have uh, the Aqidah of Imam Tahawi, they call it Aqidah al-Tahawiyah, uh, or they have the Aqidah text of Imam al-Nasafi, uh, which is more popular in the Hanafi world, uh, and they call it the Al-Aqaid al-Nasafiyah, and so on. So they attribute the book to its author. Uh, to its author. Uh, so, inshallah, today uh, we've, uh, we will uh, enter the actual text itself. We have uh, so far, alhamdulillah, we've, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, discussed the introduction in detail to the science of Aqidah, the importance of this science, and how it is so important for a Muslim to know what we should believe in and how important a correct belief system is. Uh, uh, I mean, just today, just this day, this morning, I saw a message by a prominent Muslim, prominent Muslim uh, person stating that, uh, basically, I mean, I'm not gonna now go into the whole thing, but stating that a non-Muslim who uh, fights for justice, fights for justice, uh, is more deserving of Jannah, of paradise, than a Muslim who doesn't. So if there's an injustice happening, right, something unfair is happening, and there's a non-Muslim person and a Muslim person, the non-Muslim person fights against this injustice, and the Muslim person doesn't fight against it. He doesn't do anything about it. So he says, uh, this non-Muslim person, he is more deserving of Jannah and paradise than that Muslim, even if that Muslim is praying and fasting and in the masjid whole day, it's not going to matter. So these are the very problematic, very disturbing type of ideas that you find among some Muslims today, uh, where Iman is given no importance. It doesn't matter. Your relationship with Allah is of no meaning. It's pointless. It's, it's worthless. All that matters is that you do good. Uh, and good, of course, in a very limited sense of oh, helping certain people or uh, supporting certain causes 
Uh, and at the same time, just like Iman is made worthless, uh, Kufr is also made harmless. Kufr is also made harmless that uh, if you are a kafir and you don't believe in Allah or you have the completely wrong belief about Allah, it doesn't matter. It's harmless, you know, as long as you are a nice person and you help the poor and help, you know, uh, suffering people in the world and so on, you deserve Jannah. And the Muslim who believes in Allah and so on, uh, if he doesn't do some of the things you this atheist is doing, maybe or mushrik is doing, then he doesn't deserve Jannah. So these are very problematic things. That's why it's so important to know our aqidah and realize the seriousness of this matter. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets to this world to teach them first and foremost about Tawheed, about Allah's oneness. So uh, if we just put that aside and give it no importance, then, then subhanAllah, then we have destroyed the entire edifice of Islam and all the revelations of Allah. If we put Tawheed aside, because Tawheed is the most important message in, 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 the, in the Holy Quran. The Prophet came with Tawheed. So, uh, uh, therefore, we start with the text, inshallah. So, uh, we read Bismillah uh, ar Rahim. The text starts uh, with the name of Allah. Uh, in the name of Allah, Ar Rahman ar Rahim. Bismillah ar Rahman ar Rahim. So, uh, everything uh, should start with Bismillah. The Prophet said, that uh, every matter, important matter, uh, that, that is not commenced with Bismillah, that isn't started with Bismillah, then it will remain incomplete. It will remain unblessed. Allah will not bless it if it doesn't start with Bismillah. So, uh, uh, that's why we should start everything with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allah starts the Quran, every surah except one, with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So uh, uh, it is sunnah to start everything with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Anything that is halal and good, you start with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Anything uh, except, of course, uh, haram things. Uh, and, you know, uh, anything to do with filth. Uh, in fact, to start uh, a haram thing with Bismillah is uh, considered, uh, is forbidden and is even considered kufr. For example, if somebody drinks a glass of wine and he says Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, uh, the ulama consider that as kufr, as kufr, uh, and so on. So, you know, you, you cannot light a cigarette and say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim because it's a filthy thing. It's not a good thing. So uh, only uh, this applies starting Bismillah, which Bismillah applies to good things only, not to bad things. Ar-Rahman, uh, Bism is, is a short form of Bi-Ism. Bi-Ism in the name of, but its short form is Bism. Uh, Allah is the supreme name of our, our creator. It's the name by which he wants to be praised and known. Now remember Allah, our creator has countless names, countless names. There are names that are uh, the 99 names mentioned in the Holy Quran. But, uh, and Allah says, uh, To Allah belong all the beautiful names. So call him by them. 
Now, uh, in the Quran, we have 99 names. <clears throat> but the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith that, Oh Allah, I ask you through every name. In Allah, min yas'uluka bi kulli ismin huwa lak. Sammayta bihi nafsak. Or, allamta uhadam min khalqa wa istasarta bihi fi ilmi al-ghaybi andak. That, Oh Allah, I ask you with every name that you have. That you have taught to your creation or revealed in your book or have hidden from, from all people. So from this you, you realize that there are three types of names of Allah. Names that Allah revealed in his book or his books. His books. We believe in Kutubihi, right? We believe in Allah's books. So it's not only the Quran. The names that Allah revealed in the holy books. The names that Allah may teach to individuals in creation from Anbiya and Awliya. Allah may reveal certain names to them. Uh, and then there are names that are hidden that only Allah knows. Uh, so therefore, uh, Allah's names are many. The Creator's names are many, and uh, different as we know. I mean, we know uh, that the different nations have different names for for God, and they are all describing the same thing. So if you ask a, 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 a you know a, 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 a European a English speaking person. Uh, who is the creator of the heaven and the earth? He's going to say God. G-O-D. That's how he's going to uh, describe it. If you're going to ask uh, uh, a Persian-speaking person, he's going to say Khuda. Right? If you're going to ask a, a Hindu person, who is the creator of the heaven and the earth? What do you call the creator of the heaven? He's going to say, uh, you know, uh, Parmeshwar or Ishwar. Or, uh, you know, he, he's going to have his own name for it. And so on. Every nation on earth, uh, you know, here in, in South Africa, for example, the African tribe, they will say Inkosi. If you ask them what is Inkosi, they say the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is Inkosi. So every nation has a name they call God with. Uh, the Jewish people, for example, um, they say Yahweh or Elohim. Uh, these are the names revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Musa salam. These are mentioned in, in, the, in the Torah. So, uh, therefore, there are, Allah has many names. But, well, with that said, with that said, uh, the name that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to be used in his final revelation to mankind, which is the revelation to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, the final revelation and uh, the name that Allah revealed to us in the Holy Quran and asked us to use for him, it is Allah. Allah. Alif, Lam, Lam, and Ha. That is the, the, the name revealed to the greatest prophet and the final prophet. So now, mankind is called, all of mankind is called to unite under this name. Right? Under th this is the greatest name of Allah, the greatest title of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of the creator. So this is the name we are all to call to unite under. So whether you are a Christian or a Hindu or a Jew or African, whatever background that you come from, European, uh, you are all called to Islam and call upon Allah with this greatest name, which is Allah, which is Allah. Uh, remember, you know, uh, uh, a person may have many names and titles, but they want to be called, you're going to call them with the name they ask you to call them with, right? So if somebody says, listen, you can call me John, 
or you can call me a doctor, or you can call me whatever the name they tell you to call them, that's what you have to call them. That's the name you need to use. That's what they like. So therefore, in the same sense that although Allah has many names, the name that he has chosen for us to call him with in the final revelation, in the final phase of mankind, because this is the final phase. After this is the end of the world, right? Muhammad sallallahu phase is the last phase. That's why he said, Ana He said, me and the day of judgment are like this. The Prophet sallallahu said, and he pointed with his fingers. He said, me and the day of judgment are like this. I am the greatest sign of the day of judgment. So in the final phase, we are to use the name Allah. And the Prophet sallallahu said, the Qiyamah will not come. La taqoom as-sa'a hatta la yabqa ala wajhil ardi man yaqulu Allah, Allah. Qiyamah will not come as long as there is a person on the face of this earth that is saying, Allah, Allah. Qiyamah will not come. The world will not end as long as there is a person on the face of this earth saying, Allah, Allah. So that is the name uh, we are honored with and we call Allah with. Thereafter, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Bismillahir Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman means the excessively merciful or the most merciful and ar-rahim means the ever merciful so ar-rahman means the most merciful and ar-rahim means the ever merciful now remember that uh, rahman and rahim both of them are derived from rahma which is mercy rahmat and they are both meaning merciful Rahman is merciful and Rahim is merciful, but different types, qualities of merciful. Ar-Rahman means the most merciful, which is referring to the, the quantity, uh, you know, the quality of the mercy, that it is most, Allah is most merciful. And Rahim means the ever merciful, which, mean, which is referring now to the quantity of the mercy, which is ever, continuing, forever. Because somebody may be merciful today, I may be merciful today, but tomorrow I'm not merciful again. Tomorrow I am unmerciful, right? That can happen. So with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is the most merciful. First of all, he's not half merciful, little bit merciful, kind of merciful. He is most merciful. And how long is that? How long is he like that? Is he sometimes like that? Sometimes not like that? No. He's ever merciful, Ar-Rahim. He's always like that. So this is really a big relief for us. And it shows that Allah wishes to be known as a merciful Rabb. And that's why he introduces himself in the Quran as Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Uh, out of the 114 surahs of the Quran, 113 of them start with Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Bismillah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Allah has 99 names. Allah has so many names. Why is he using these two names? Why does Allah only use uh, these two names, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim? So it, it shows that he wants us to know him as the merciful one and approach him as the merciful one and deal with him as the merciful one. Thereafter, the author says, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, all praise is for Allah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, is uh, has, has been interpreted by scholars in different ways. Some scholars, 
they say alhamdulillah uh, is, a, is a request that may the praise be for Allah. May our praises, may our praises be for Allah. So it's, it's a request for our praise be to Allah. Hamd means praise. When you praise something, you tahmaduhu, you are praising it, it's hamd. Other ulama said that uh, alhamd means it's not a request, it's a statement. It's a statement of a fact. So what is being stated here? Alhamdulillah means all praise is for Allah. Is for Allah. Which means that all the praise that is happening in this universe is not due for Allah. It's already for Allah. It's only for Allah. In other words, uh, whatever anyone is praising, in this world, whoever anyone is praising, whatever anyone is praising, all that praise is only for Allah. They are only praising Allah. They are only praising Allah. So in other words, if you praise a mountain, you are praising Allah. If you praise a river, you are praising Allah. If you praise the sunset, you are praising Allah. If you praise a woman, you are praising Allah. If you praise a man, uh, you are praising Allah. If you praise somebody's beauty or somebody's intelligence, you are praising Allah. If you praise a car, you are praising Allah. He is the one that inspired it. He is the one that created that. So whatever you praise, if you praise a book, if you praise a, a, a food that you eat, if you praise a drink, if you praise the weather, uh, if you praise somebody's clothes, whatever you praise, you are only praising Allah. Because all of that is from Allah. All of that is the creation of Allah. So therefore, he's the only one that's being praised. The simple example of that is that if I made a painting and I kept it in this room, let's say I made five paintings and I kept it in this room of mine, and then you came in the room. Now, when you came in the room, uh, you didn't see me yet, but you saw these five paintings are made, and you start praising the painting, and you look at one painting and says, wow, Look at this painting. Oh, this is so beautiful. And then you go to the next painting. Wow, look, this is also a very beautiful painting. And then you look at the third painting and say, oh, this is so lovely. And the fourth painting, wow, this is amazing. And the fifth painting, what a wonderful painting. Now, when you were praising these five paintings, who were you praising? Were you praising me or not, the painter? Yes. So all the while when you were praising the paintings, you were praising the painter. Why? Because those are my creations. They didn't create themselves. I made them. So when you praise the painting, you praise the painter. Right? You praise me. When you praise the food, you're praising the cook. Right? When you, when you praise a book, you, praise, you are praising the author. Right? If I write a book and you say, what a fantastic book, you have praised me. So in the same sense, whatever anybody praises in this world, they are praising Allah even if they don't realize it. Now, when you are praising my painting, there are two situations here. Either you are praising the painting and you know who is the painter. And when you praise uh, uh, the painting, you praise it, realizing who is the painter and realizing that you're actually paint, 
praising the painter, you know, and you know who that painter is. Or you may be a passerby and you uh, uh, you do not know who the painter is. So you just praise the painting and you say, this is a wonderful painting. And you don't know who the praiser is, who the painter is. But even if you don't know who the painter is, you have still praised the painter. Because even if you don't know who made the painting, when you praise the painting, you have praised the painter. So people are like that. Uh, people are praising stuff. But whatever they praise in this world, they are praising Allah. Now, some people know it. Others don't know it. The believer knows it. The Muslim uh, knows that. And the disbeliever doesn't know it. So they say the meaning of Alhamdulillah then is that all praise belongs to Allah. Uh, so there are two meanings then, right? The, the first meaning of Alhamdulillah is all praise should be for Allah. All praise should be for Allah. It's a request. The second one is all praise is for Allah. It's already for Allah. So Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, he starts with Alhamdulillah because it was the sunnah of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Whenever he would give a khutbah uh, and start, you know, a, a talk, he would always start with Alhamdulillah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would always say uh, Alhamdulillah. So that's why we start with Bismillah and Alhamdulillah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said about Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah tamla'ul mizan that these two words, Alhamdulillah, they alone can fill up the entire scale of good deeds on the Day of Judgment. So on the Day of Judgment, when, you, when our actions are weighed, right, the, uh, the good deeds and the bad deeds, they are weighed in the scales. Of course, we don't know the nature of those scales and how and all that. doesn't really matter. When they are scale, weighed, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, just Alhamdulillah alone, these words, if you say it from your heart, they alone can fill up the entire scale of good deeds. They can fill up the entire scale of good deeds and outweigh all the bad deeds. Such is the value of gratefulness to Allah. Such is the value of being shakir. Uh, of being thankful to Allah that it can outweigh all the bad all the bad if you are just grateful to Allah if you say Alhamdulillah from your heart thereafter he says uh, the Mu'allif Mu'allif means the author uh, ala he says and then Salat and Salam Salat and Salam May the blessings and the peace from Allah be upon Rasulullah, on the Messenger of Allah. May the, the blessings and the peace be upon Rasulullah. Of course, when you say may the blessings and the peace or may the peace and blessings be on him, from who? From Allah. We don't have any blessings to send Rasulullah. We don't have any peace to send him. We derive the peace and the blessings from him. But we ask Allah. That's why when you make salawat, you say, Allahumma salli wa sallim. Oh Allah, you send your blessings, your salat, blessings, and your salam, your greetings, your peace upon the messenger. 
we ask Allah to do that because we, we can't. How do we greet him? How do we, what do we present to him? Nothing. So it is from Allah to him. And we start with that. And again, the Prophet ﷺ also said that, uh, that, that the dua of a human being, that Allah he says that the dua of a human being is stuck between heavens and earth. It does not reach the presence of Allah. In other words, it's stuck in creation. It doesn't go beyond the creation. Unless the person makes salat on me, salat and salam on me at the beginning of the dua and the end of the dua. Unless the person makes salat and salam on me at the beginning of the dua and the end of the dua. So, therefore, very important to make salawat on the Prophet ﷺ, or what is called in Persian, Durood Sharif, Durood Sharif. In Arabic, salat was salam, salawat and salam on the Prophet Ali salam, at the beginning and end of every dua. When you start your dua, start by praising Allah and salat and salam on Rasulullah. Alhamdulillah, salat and salam on Rasulullah. Then you make your dua. And when you conclude your dua as well, conclude with salat and salam and hamd. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. And the end of our, and the last of our prayers is alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. That's when your du'a will be accepted. Uh, these are the basics of du'a. Otherwise, your du'a will be stuck because it's a request. It's an arrogant request. If you are requesting something from Allah and you don't start it by praising him and praising his prophet and acknowledging his prophet, you don't start it by acknowledging him and his prophet, then what's the point of the du'a? It's just like walking into my office and you don't even greet me. You don't even say anything to me. You just demand something. Am I going to now uh, honor you like that? No, that's disrespect. Or you come in my office and you demand something and then you just walk out without greeting me as well. So we show this respect to the kings and, and the people of power in this dunya. So what about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So we make the dua, we request to Allah, but we start with praising him and his prophet. And then we end by praising him and his prophet. <laughs> So Allah Muhammad, that is uh, the Salat and Salam. Thereafter, uh, he says, "Alam, أَنَّ الْحُكْمَ الْعَقْلِي يَنْحَصِرُ فِي سَلَاسَةِ أَقْسَامِ That know uh, that rational judgment, rational judgment on something, uh, is limited to three. Uh, Three types. Hukum, to make a hukum, a, a judgment on something, right? Rationally speaking, log logically speaking, there are only three types of judgments you can make on anything that is going to happen or not happen. Al wujub wal istihala wal jawas. Al wujub wal istihala wal jawas. Wujub means necessary. Istihala means impossible, and jawaz means possible. Okay, wujub and jawaz. Now, these are the three types of 
rational judgments that can be made about anything. For example, I'm, I'm to explain you what what you what he means. Uh, let's say there is, uh, uh, you know, uh, a person, you know, Zaid, uh, or, or let's take a lady. Let's say there is a lady, um, Sumaya. Sumaya. Can Sumaya have a baby? Can Sumaya have a baby? Now that's an example I'm using to make you understand. Is it necessary for Sumaya to have a baby that it's a must? Necessary means wajib, must? That Sumaya is going to have a baby? No. It's not must. Not all women have babies. Some cannot have babies. So it's not a must. Right? It's not necessary. Uh, is it impossible for Sumaya to have a baby? No. It's not impossible as well. She's a woman and she can have a baby. It's not impossible. It's not something impossible. Impossible is saying like, can a dog give birth to a cat? Or can a mouse give birth to a bird? That's impossible, right? But can Sumaya have a baby? Yes, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not impossible. So we said there are three judgments, necessary, impossible, and just possible. So then we're going to ask, so what then is the judgment on Sumaya having a baby? We will say it is Jawaz possible it is something that is possible it may happen it may not happen possible is something that may or may not happen it can happen and it may not happen as well it's something possible it's not impossible and neither is it necessary wajib means it must happen sumaya must have a baby uh, impossible means sumaya cannot have a baby and Jais means it's possible she can have a baby or she may not have a baby. Let me take the example further. Let's say Sumaya is pregnant. She is pregnant. Now the question is, can she, uh, uh, is Sumaya going to have a boy? Is she going to have a boy? Is it necessary that she's going to have a boy? No, it's not necessary. It's not wajib. It could be a girl as well. Is it impossible for Sumaya to have a boy? No, it's not impossible. She's pregnant. She can give birth to a boy or a girl. It's not impossible. So what is it then? What is the ruling on Sumaya uh, having, a, the logical, rational ruling on Sumaya having a baby? It is Jais. On Sumaya having a boy, it is Jais. That, yes, it's something Jais. She may have it. She may have a boy. Or she may not have a boy. It may be a girl. It's something Jais. So to, he then explains the Sanusi, the, the definition of these three Categories now. Now, and please understand something. The reason he's explaining this is because he's going to apply this to Allah. He's going to apply these rulings to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's why you need to understand these rulings. That's why he's mentioning them. So, فالواجب ما لا يتصور في العقل عدمه. Wajib necessary is something that your mind. Or the intellect cannot accept its non-existence. <laughs> cannot accept its non-existence. For example, now what what is impossible? Uh, you know, necessary uh, that, for example, uh, that um, <clears throat> the part is smaller than the whole. 
right? The part is always smaller than the whole, right? Now, it is necessary for the part to be smaller than the whole. The part can never be bigger than the whole, right? A part of me, my, 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 my hand is a part of me. Can my hand ever be bigger than the whole of me? No, it cannot be because it's a part of me. It can't be bigger than me, right? So a part is always smaller than a whole because it's a, it, if you take it off, then that's a part of me. So Allah must allow, you know, that is something wajib. It's necessary. It's, it, you cannot imagine anything else. Or that two must have one in it. Right? Two must have a one in it. You cannot have a two, but there's no one in it. So that is something that's intellectually necessary. In order for there to be two, there must be a one. In fact, there must be one plus one, and then you have two. So that is necessary. That is something wajib. You cannot imagine otherwise. You cannot imagine. Uh, you cannot conceptualize anything other than that from an intellectual point of view, rational point of view. Right? Rationally speaking. Uh, like like saying, and I give you another example. Like saying, uh, one is uh, smaller than five. You have five and you have one. One will always be smaller than five. Right? So uh, in number, if there are uh, one date, it's always smaller than five dates. One apple is smaller than five apples. One will always be smaller than five. Now, that is necessary for one. It has to be smaller than two and three and four and five. If somebody comes and tells you that, no, you know what, I've got uh, that one uh, can be bigger than five. I'm talking about the same thing now, right? The same thing. It's impossible. Yeah, you say, no, that's, that cannot be. So uh, something that is uh, logically necessary, that is wajib. Okay, I'm not talking about the wajib here in fiqh. In fiqh, they also have farad and wajib and mustahab and haram, makruh and haram. And we're not talking about that, okay? That's completely different. We're talking about al-hukm al-aqli, the rational judgment, something that is necessary. Something that has to be. Something that has to be. Okay. Now the next one is wal-mustahil. Wal-mustahil ma la yutasawruf al-aqli wujuduhu. Now, just like Necessary is something that has to be. Something that has to be. Impossible, again, mustahil, impossible, غير mumkin, is something that is, cannot be, that cannot be. Something that cannot be. Uh, that's impossible to be. For example, uh, can something be both black and white at the same time? No, that's impossible. It cannot be. It's either black, it's either white. You cannot say this page is white and it's black. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't doesn't make any sense, right? It's either black, it's either white. Uh, if somebody asks you, is it night or day, and you say no, it's night and day at the same time. Is that possible? Is it possible for it to be night and day at the same time? 
No, it isn't. It's impossible. I'll give you another example. Is it possible for somebody to be moving and stationary at the same time? Is it possible for me to be moving and to be still at the same time? You're going to say that's crazy, that is stupid. How can somebody be moving and not moving at the same time? How can somebody be mutaharrik and sakin at the same time? It's impossible, right? It's impossible. It's impossible. So that is what we call mustahil. Something that is aqliyan, rationally speaking, impossible. That cannot be. That doesn't make any sense. Okay? That is impossible. Now, <coughs> we come to the third aspect. Well, Jais, now, uh, Jais means, uh, again, not what's in fiqh. It's halal or not halal. It's Jais, not Jais. Jais here means in the hukm al-aqli, the rational judgment. Something that is possible. Something that is conceivable to your mind. Something that is conceivable to your mind. So, uh, Can I, uh, you know, uh, get up now from this gathering? Is something jais? Yes, I can get up. I may not get up. It's up to me. Uh, can I remove my glasses? Is that something necessary? No. Is that something impossible? No. What is it then? It's something jais. I may or may not remove it. If I want to remove it, I'll remove it. If I don't want to remove it, I won't remove it. It is something that is possible it's a possibility so you see a human being will this human being get married and have kids it's a possibility maybe he will maybe he won't allah knows only allah knows but it's a possibility it's not impossible he's a person so he can get married and have kids it's neither it's not necessary as well that if he's a human being he must get married and have kids it's not necessary many people die without doing that so it is just a possibility that is called jais Jais. Now, if we understand these three uh, ahkam, wajib and mustahil and jais, now he proceeds. He proceeds to the actual point that he's wanting to make. What is necessary for Allah? What is impossible for Allah? What is jais possible for Allah? Right? So he says, وَيَجِبُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ مُكَلَّفٍ شَرْعًا أَنْ يَعْرَفْ مَا يَجِبُ فِي حَقِّ مَوْلَانَا عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَمَا يَسْتَحِيلْ فَمَا يَجُوزُ So he says, it is wajib, uh, it is uh, necessary for for every mukallaf, meaning every Muslim that is uh, uh, bound, you know, mukallaf uh, means somebody that is bound by the Sharia, bound by the Sharia, mukallaf, which is obviously an adult who is sane. That is mukallaf, right? If you are a child, you are not mukallaf. A child doesn't have to make salah. The child doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to fast in Ramadan. He's not mukallaf yet. He's not balik, right? 
uh, and uh, as well as a crazy person. A crazy person doesn't have to do anything. Even if he's 50 years old or 60 years old or 40 years old, if somebody is mad, they don't have to pray, they don't have to fast in Ramadan, they don't have to go for Hajj. So Mukallaf is somebody that is uh, uh, Balik and at the same time somebody that is Aqil. Uh, they are intelligent. Right? They, 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 uh, they are sane. Sane. So it, uh, male and a female. Male, females, uh, everyone. It is necessary. It is fard on every Mukallaf, every Muslim that is Balik and Aqil to know what is wajib for Allah and what is mustahil, impossible for Allah and what is possible for Allah. You have to know as a Muslim what is necessary for Allah to be and what is also at the same time uh, impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be, right? Can Allah have a son, for example, it's impossible, right? And thirdly, what is possible for Allah? Some things are just possible for Allah. Can Allah uh, grant me another son? That's a possibility. It's not uh, necessary that Allah must do that. Neither is it impossible that Allah cannot do that. Something possible. So therefore, we have to know as, as Muslims what is wajib on Allah, what is necessary for Allah. We must believe that. Uh, you know, things like he's all hearing, he's all seeing, but we're going to come to that still. And you need to know what is impossible for Allah, that like, you know, that Allah can have a partner or Allah can have a beginning or an end. Or, we'll come to that as well. And it is, and what is possible for Allah. Of course, that is unlimited, the possibilities. The possibility is unlimited. We'll come to that as well. So, Every Muslim should know that. Unfortunately, Muslims sometimes don't know these things, and uh, they, that's why they attribute to Allah the wrong things. Uh, you find some people attributing to Allah like human features, like they think Allah has hands and legs and a face, and it's impossible. These things cannot be attributed to Allah because one thing that's impossible for Allah is similarity to His creation, and we'll we'll talk about that later in the text, inshallah. It is impossible for Allah to be similar to his creation. If you knew that, if you knew that it's impossible for Allah to be like his creation, like his makhluk, then you won't say uh, stupid things, you know, like Allah has hands and Allah has eyes and Allah has legs. and Because you know that it's impossible for Allah to be like his creation. But because when you don't know that, I even heard one uh, famous speaker Muslim speaker, you know, not really an alim. This guy is not an alim, but he's a famous speaker. He speaks a lot, you know, in places and internet and debates with non-Muslims and stuff. I heard him once say, and, uh, and on the day of Qiyamah, on the day of judgment, Allah will sit down on his throne. Sit down on his throne, Arsh, and then he will judge between people. Like a judge comes in the courtroom and sits down on the chair and says, okay, the case can begin. Allah will sit on his throne and judge between. He said Allah will sit on his throne. Now the word sit is haram to use that for Allah. How can you use the word sit for Allah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not sit. Allah is not standing that he should sit down. 
He's not sitting or standing. You cannot attribute to Allah standing or sitting. You can't say Allah is standing. You cannot say Allah is sitting. These are actions of creation who occupy space and wait. What is the definition of sitting? Go open the dictionary and see what's the meaning of sitting. It means somebody who has hips. You have hips and you, 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 you put down your, 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 your hips, your backside rested on something when you rest it like on the ground or on a chair or anything else that is the act of sitting billah, does allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have hips and does allah rest on something and this thing that allah is resting on billah, what is it a creation is it a makhluk arsh is makhluk so if you say allah is so are you saying allah is resting on his creation which means Allah is muhtaj. Allah is in need of his creation. Because right now I am resting on a pillow. There's a pillow behind me. I'm resting on a pillow. Which means I need that pillow. I need, there's a pillow behind me. Uh, I am resting on it. Uh, I need it. I need it. So if you say Allah is resting on his throne, uh, Allah is in need of his makhluk. The khaliq needs the makhluk. Subhanallah. Is there a greater kufr than that? Is there a greater shirk than that? Why do sometimes people say this? And this is the famous speaker. He said, Allah sits on his chair, on a throne. Because he doesn't know aqidah. You know, uh, they didn't study these things. Uh, they don't know uh, uh, that Allah cannot be like his creation. It's impossible for Allah to be like his creation. Also, in order to sit on a chair, you need to occupy space. You need to occupy space. When I sit on a chair, there's a space that I occupy. How can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala occupy space? How can any chair, any throne encompass Allah? So all of this is just jahal and kufr. But because people don't understand aqeedah, they say things like that. Uh, if they knew that it is, it is impossible for Allah to be like his creation, they will not say these impossible things. These things are impossible for Allah. Uh, to move or, to, uh, or to, to sit or stand, all these things are impossible for Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, another person uh, was saying also that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, somebody asked, can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, create another Allah? I was asked a question once, can Allah create another Allah? Can God make another God? Again, that's impossible. Why? Because the definition of Allah, of God, al-ilah, means the one who has no beginning. Allah has no beginning. And we will come to that. In other words, Allah cannot be created. Nobody can create Allah. Allah is not created. If he is created, he is not Allah. So, when you say, can Allah create another Allah? This other one, if whatever Allah creates, how can that be Allah? Because it's created. It has a beginning. It has a creator. It has a creator. If Allah created another being, powerful being that being however powerful it is it is a makhluk it is created by allah so how can that be allah 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 by definition is khaliq he's not makhluk he cannot have another uh, being create him so therefore the question that can allah make another allah that's impossible it's logically impossible mustahil it's very mumkin uh, uh, irrational. 
you know, it's like saying somebody is uh, 10 years old and 50 years old at the same time. Or it's like uh, asking, asking an unmarried person, asking an unmarried person, what's your wife's name? That's an irrational question, irrational, illogical question. Or asking a, a person who has no children, what's your son's name? I don't have a son, so why are you asking me? That's an illogical question, right? Illogical question. Uh, for example, uh, like asking, how old is Allah? How old is Allah? Illogical question, because age is determined by when you when you were born, when you start. If it's an object, you say when it was made. How old is, is this phone? Oh, it's uh, or this car. Oh, it's a 2003 model, because that's when it was made. How old is this person? Oh, he's uh, 50 years old because he was born in, in, in 1950, for example. How can you ask how old is Allah? Because that question is implying Allah has a beginning. Allah started somewhere. Uh, that's an irrational, illogical question. Allah has no beginning. Therefore, he cannot have an age. Therefore, it is illogical to say, what is Allah's age? He doesn't have an age. Uh, he doesn't begin anywhere. So therefore, it is very important for us to understand uh, what is necessary for Allah, what is impossible for Allah, and what is possible for Allah. That is what this text of Al-Akhidah Sanusi is going to be talking about. And inshallah, in the next lesson, uh, we will continue reading the text, inshallah, and talk about the sifat of Allah, 20 sifat, 20 attributes of Allah, qualities of Allah, that we must know and every Muslim should know and understand very well so we can have a proper understanding of our Rabb, our Creator. And we avoid shirk. The reason why mankind committed shirk and made many gods and worshipped many gods and made Allah into a man and Allah into a son and a father and a partner and so many idols and gods and they committed this shirk because they didn't understand Tawheed properly. They didn't understand this properly, what we are reading. They didn't understand this knowledge properly. And because they didn't have this knowledge uh, and they didn't listen to their prophets, shaitan convinced them to have all kinds of fake and false understandings of Allah. So you have people who believe Allah becomes a human being. Uh, and, and, you know, in Hinduism, that's very in Christianity. And some other people believe Allah sits on a chair. Allah is like this, Allah is like People have all these false understandings because they don't understand Aqidah properly. They don't understand who the Creator is. So, inshallah, uh, the, the purpose of this reading is to understand this. And this is all from Quran and Sunnah. Nothing, nothing else. It is all purely from Quran and Sunnah. It is explaining to us what the Quran and Sunnah say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, shukran for, for your attention. And I hope this lesson was beneficial and made us understand our Rabb a little bit better. وقولوا قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا مولانا محمد وعليه وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين شكرا